How to Play. Episode 24, Dominant Species. Hello and welcome to the How to Play podcast, coming to you from the How to Play studios in Buffalo, New York. This is your host, Ryan Sturm, and this podcast is about learning and teaching games. In each episode, I give an explanation of how to play a game, just as if I was sitting across the table from you and we were about to play the game together. This podcast is intended for use in learning about a game you may not know much about, learning how to play a game by yourself, or to serve as a model on how to explain the rules of this game or others. If you like the show, join and participate in our guild at BoardGameGeek. For more information about all the How to Play podcast episodes, the corresponding teaching guides, and the discussion forums, refer to the How to Play Geek list, for which you can find a link there at the Guild. You can also check out our website, www.howtoplaypodcast.com, where you can support the show with a PayPal donation, and I can be contacted at the Guild on BoardGameGeek or directly at my email address, howtoplaypodcast at msn.com. Now let's get to today's episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome back. This is episode 24, and today we will be talking about dominant species. This is your host, Ryan Sturm, and this episode was recorded on December 31st, 2010. That voice you heard introducing today's game was the well-known Jeff Engelstein of Game Tech fame and the designer of the upcoming game, The Ares Project. Jeff will be joining me for a special amusing episode that I'm going to release simultaneously with this episode. I originally intended to include them all as a package, but it's such a great conversation, I decided to separate it out as its own separate episode. So look forward to that in your download feed shortly. And right after you finish listening to this, go check out that conversation between Jeff and myself. So today's game was recently released just in 2010 and designed by Chad Jensen, Dominant Species. It claims to play from two to six. I recommend four or five players. I love this game. This is my new favorite game of games that have come out recently. You may have heard that if you had listened to my top 50 list. The number one thing I like about it is the integration of the theme. The way the designer took some really interesting mechanics and combined those with the thematic ideas of what you're trying to do in the game is really fantastic. It's really a great game experience because the entire game feels like sort of a story that sort of unfolds. You're a small animal and you start on a little piece of earth and then, you know, these animals discover the earth and they grow and populate and the animals evolve and change and the land evolves and changes and there's glacial disasters that that come forth and animals trying to survive on those glacial pieces. There's just so many interesting elements going on in this game. It's a joy to play, but it's also just a joy to enjoy the ride as you go through the several hours it takes to play this game. I really think that you're going to love every minute of it. Complexity rating. Dominant Species is a double black diamond. The game has a lot of rules, and it has a lot of complex concepts to digest the first time that you play it. It's a pretty long game. After you explain the rules and go through the whole game, you're probably looking at four to five hours for that first game, but probably can be shorted down to about three hours if you've got a group of people who know the game. This is a game experience where learning it probably could go a lot faster if you have people who've played games that use some of the earlier mechanics. A game I would really recommend would be something like Age of Empires 3 as one of the major elements of how the game is played is taken from that game. And Age of Empires 3 is a little bit of a simpler game. 
Even something as basic as Stone Age can help players get familiar with the concept of worker placement so that they can more quickly digest some of the more complex elements within this game. Even having played a, a game like El Grande will help your players understand how some of the scoring works. So we talk about next step games. This is sort of a third step or a final step, if you will, when you have players who really have a good understanding of a lot of different Euro games, this game sort of takes it to that next level and combines a lot of those to create a really rich game experience. If you are new to the show, well, welcome. I'm so glad you could join us. Go back and download the other 28 or so episodes. But my goal here is to teach you how to play this game and to teach you how to teach this game. I'll start it off with an introduction I call a hook, then we'll get into the meat of the rules of how you play the game, and I'll wrap it up with a little bit of beginning strategy to get you started. Then for our musing segment, I'll remind you, don't forget to download episode G, which is a conversation with Jeff Engelstein. And the topic for our discussion, since we're talking about a game that's all about evolving, I chose the topic of the evolution of game mechanics. So I hope you'll give that a listen as well. But for now, we're going to learn Dominant Species. You ready? As always, I recommend having that game right there in front of you, or the rule book, or access to the web to see the board and the components, and that will really help you get a visual understanding of the rules as I describe them. All right then, let's get to the hook. Part 1, The Hook, What the Game is About. Welcome to Dominant Species. In this game, you are a type of animal trying to be the most populous and successful animal species on planet Earth. Your animals are represented by little wooden cubes of your player color. Your goals are to be able to survive on as much as the Earth as possible, to be the most populous animal on Earth, and to be the dominant animal species on as many tiles as possible. Let's talk more specifically about those three goals. The board of the game is made up of a tessellation of hexagons, and each of these animal cubes start on these hexagons, and bordering these hexagons are circular element disks. And each animal starts with only one type of element that it needs to have in order to survive. So these circular disks will be around the hexagons that your cubes will be placed on. And the elements are grass, grubs, meat, seeds, sun, and water. For example, the snake requires sun. In order for your snake cubes to be able to survive on a hex, you need to be adjacent to one of those sun disks. Now throughout the game, you can get other elements that your species can survive on. Or you can add more element disks onto the earth, onto the map board, so that your snakes have more places to live. Your second goal is to populate. You have cubes. You want to get your cubes on as much of the board as possible. Because during the game, you'll be able to score tiles. And when you score those tiles, Whoever has the most cubes on that tile will get points. And at the end of the game, every tile will score points based on who has the most cubes on that tile. So you want to get your cubes all over the board. Your third goal is to dominate. You dominate a tile by being the animal on the tile who has the most matches of element discs on your animal compared to the elements on that tile. Every player has their own little player board and you have six slots for element discs. Each player starts with two, and you can accumulate more of those as you go throughout the game. And you want your element discs to match up with the element discs on the board, because each tile can be dominated by the person whose discs on their animal most closely match the discs on the tile on the board. 
For example, let's look at one tile. If I had two sun disks on my animal card, and you have one sun disk on your animal card, and the land we are in has one sun disk, and we have no other matches, then I am considered what's called dominant there. And I represent that by placing a colored cone into that tile of my color. Now this domination can change a lot of times throughout the game, because players will be adding element disks to their player board, or adding element disks or taking them away from the map board. You want to be dominant on tiles for two main reasons. Being dominant on a tile will allow you to get domination cards, which give you special abilities during the game. And, at the end of the game, we'll score points for the number of tiles that we dominate. So for each of these tiles, we're going to be keeping a close eye on who has domination on that tile. And the domination is determined by comparing the discs that we have on our little player boards to the tile that we're looking at, which element discs are adjacent to it. We're going to mark each tile with which player is dominant on that tile. has nothing to do with how many of your little wooden cubes you have on that. That is a separate thing. That shows us who has the most population on that tile. So each tile has two different elements that you're looking at. Who has the most cubes and who has domination, meaning whose animal has the most element discs that match the element discs on that tile. So those are your three goals. Make sure you can survive on as many tiles as possible by having a matching element. Cover as much of the board as possible with your colored cubes and dominate tiles by matching your elements to the elements on the tiles on the board. The player who does that the best will earn the most points and will be the dominant species on Earth and win the game. Part 2, the meat, how to play the game. Alright, so the first thing you need to know about is how the turn works. So let's look at the basics of a turn. How to play a turn. Each turn plays out in three steps. A planning phase, an execution phase, and a reset phase. Most of the major decisions of the game happen in the planning phase, because this is where you're going to decide which actions you want to take that turn. This is a worker placement style phase. There are a number of available actions, and players will take turns one at a time, selecting which action that they want to take. If you have played the game Age of Empires 3, this format will seem very familiar. There is a box with all of the available actions, and there are circles for each place that you can take an action. And so the start player will start. Each player has a number of wooden cylinders, and that's how many actions they can take that turn. For example, in a four-player game, each player will start the game with five cylinders. And so there are a number of spaces, and they're called eyeball spaces because they have little eyeballs on them. There are 12 different actions. Some of the actions there's only one spot for, but some of them there are two or three. And players will look at those different actions, decide which they want, and put one of their cylinders down. And then the next player will play one of his cylinders. And we'll go around the table like that until everyone has played all of their wooden cylinders. Now you're not going to go in clockwise order. This game has an initiative track, and so you're going to go in that order. To start the game, the order is placed in reverse food chain order. This is one of those fun integrated thematic elements of the game. The six different types of animals you could play in the game are the mammals, the reptiles, the birds, the amphibians, the arachnids, and the insects. And that is the food chain order, from mammal all the way down to insect. 
Being at the top or bottom of the food chain has different advantages and disadvantages. And one of the advantages of being lower on the food chain is you get to move first, at least with this starting player order, as player order can change in the game. Of course, each animal has a special ability, and we'll talk more about that later. But that is the planning phase. Everybody has five cylinders, and we're going to take turns placing them in these eyeball spaces to select which actions we want to take. Of course, as players lay down these cylinders, certain actions will get blocked out. And for actions with multiple spaces, for example, the adaptation action has three eyeball spaces. The actions are carried out from left to right. So if you are the first person to put your cylinder in the farthest left space, then you're going to get to do that action first, which is usually a good thing. That's the planning phase. Then we get to the execution phase. And the execution phase is simply we carry out the actions. We have that long box all the way to go down. There are 12 different actions. So we start at the top action and we work our way down one action at a time. And like I said, if there are multiple spaces, then the players carry out the actions in order from left to right. So if we had a situation where we had the blue player, then the red player, then the blue player went on one of the actions, the blue player would take the action first, then the red player would do it, and then the blue player would get to do that action again. So we go down through the actions and carry out all of the different actions. That's it. That's the execution phase. And then we finish with a reset phase, which is just some sort of cleanup that we have to do. There's three steps to the reset phase. Extinction, survival, and reseed. Extinction means that we check the board to see if anyone has cubes in an area where they can't survive. That is, if they are in a hexagon that doesn't have any discs adjacent to it that matches any discs on their animal. For example, if I'm the snake, if I have cubes on a tile that doesn't have a sun next to it, and I don't have any other element discs, all my snakes on that tile are going to croak. They're going to die, and we're going to take them off the board. So we have to check all those tiles and make sure everyone can survive. Then we have the survival step, which is a special scoring for someone who has the most cubes on tundra tiles. We'll talk more about this later. The third step of the reset phase is reseed. Basically, all this means is we need to refill the action display. The action display has several discs that gets placed on it, and some of the discs that have not been taken slide down to be available for other actions. We also need to play out some new cards, and some more tiles become available. And so we're basically just setting up the board for the next turn. And so that's the whole turn. Players will take turns one at a time, laying their wooden cylinders down. You will execute actions from top to bottom, and then we'll have the reset phase. Cubes will die, we'll have a special scoring on the tundra, and then we'll refill that action box so it's ready for the next turn. So there are 12 different actions with which to choose from. How do you know which ones to take? Well, let's go over what those 12 actions do. The 12 actions. The first action you can take is initiative, and this lets you move up in that turn order that's set at the beginning of the game. There's only one eyeball spot for this spot, and it's kind of like a, a little bonus spot because you get one jump up in the turn order. Say, for example, I'm going fourth. If I take the initiative action, then I get to bump up one spot to third, and the other players would slide down. And as a bonus, as initiative is the first action, I get to take that pawn and replace it in any empty box. So it's a nice little bonus, and players usually try to go there after the most popular spots get filled up, because then you get sort of a bonus action and get that bump in turn order. 
So that's the first action you can take, initiative. The second action you can take is adaptation. And we talked about the importance of those element disks. You have six slots on your animal. For most animals, you start with two pre-printed elements. For example, with the snake or the reptiles, you start with two pre-printed sun disks, and you have four empty slots. And you're gonna wanna get more disks so that your animal can survive on different tiles, and you can increase your ability to be dominant on different tiles. So that's what adaptation does. It lets you get disks and put it in one of your empty slots. Each turn, there will be four random elements of the six different types placed in this area. There are three eyeball spots for the adaptation action. So that means the first person to get there will place his probably on the furthest to the left because he will get first choice of those four elements. Be careful because once you fill up, you really can't take any more. Though usually your actions are so limited, this is not often that much of a problem. You'll notice there are four discs and only three people can take them, so there'll be at least one left over. And this is on purpose, because after the first turn, any discs that are left over will slide down so they are available in the regression box, which is action number three. But that was action number two, adaptation. You get to take a disc and put it on your animal card. Action number three, regression. This is a bad thing. If no one takes one of those discs that is available on the first turn, then they'll slide down to the regression box. And the regression box will affect all of the players. What it does is any element types there, say for example we have nuts and we have suns there. Any animal who has nuts or sun will lose one disc of that type. Now the good news is that you can't lose the ones that are pre-printed on your animal. But if you have taken one, then you will lose it during this step. And that's going to happen to everybody. What the action does is taking the regression action, and there are two eyeball spots there, prevents you from losing one of the types that are in the regression box. So that's action number three, regression. And what it does is it prevents you from losing one of those element tokens that is in that box. Action four, abundance. Abundance has four available element disks on it, just like the previous one, Adaptation. But the difference with Abundance is what this one lets you do is take element disks and lets you add them to the map on any empty adjacent intersection between hexagons. Or you could place it on the border, on the edge of a hexagon, on the edge of the board. This is handy because it can give you a, another place to survive and it can increase your dominance in an area so that you'll get some more of those dominance cones. For example, if I'm the reptiles, if there's a sun disc there, I might want to get one of those sun discs and add it to the board so that I'm dominant on one of the tiles. In the abundance section, there are only two eyeball spaces and there are four discs there. And again, that is on purpose because the ones that are not taken will fall down to the wasteland box, which is action number five. But action number four, what it lets you do is get an element disc and add it to an empty intersection on the board. Now, action number five, wasteland. There's going to be at least two tokens that are gonna end up on the wasteland box. And what this does is it starts killing off some of the element discs that are on the board. And specifically, it kills off the element discs that are adjacent to the ever-growing tundra. To start the game, we have one tundra hex in the center of the board. And each turn, that tundra will grow. Any element discs that get engulfed by the tundra are automatically removed. But elements that are on the border of that tundra are at risk of being removed. And they will be removed at the execution step if we have an element in that wasteland box. 
So for example, if a sun token ends up in the wasteland box, then any sun adjacent to the tundra will get removed from the board, which could be very bad for my snake friends. If we don't have any other suns, some of my snakes might die, or it could change dominance. So what does the wasteland action do? The wasteland action lets you remove one of the elements from the wasteland box so that that element is not affected from dying off to the tundra. There's only one eyeball space in the wasteland, and that is on purpose, because that means at least one element type will disappear from the edges of the tundra. And it also means whatever is left over will slide down to the depletion box, which is action six. But action five, what it does is it's going to affect everybody. All of the element discs adjacent to the tundra of the matching types, for example, all the suns, would get removed. And taking the action lets you remove that disc to prevent the element disc from coming off the board. Now keep in mind, in turn one, the wasteland box will be empty, but by turn two, this will start to take effect. Action six, depletion. If we have an element that doesn't get taken in abundance, that goes through the wasteland step, it will go down to the depletion box. And this allows players to be really nasty because what this simply lets you do is there's one eyeball space in the depletion space. And what it lets you do is just remove one element of that type from the board. So if there is a sun that got all the way down there, another player can take that action to find any sun disc on the board and simply remove that from the board, which can be somewhat nasty for my reptile friends. And that's it. That's all depletion does, as you go there and you get to remove one disc from the map. Keep in mind this action will not be available till at least turn three, but after that there should be at least one element into that depletion box. Action seven, glaciation. This is a mean and nasty action. It lets you grow that tundra. Glaciation can only be done once per turn, and the person who selects glaciation gets to take a tundra tile and expand the glacier. So there's a tundra tile in the center of the board at the beginning of the game, and that tundra is going to expand throughout. Whoever takes glaciation gets to decide where that tundra tile is going to go. You have to choose a spot adjacent to a tundra tile, and it's kind of a mean and nasty thing to do to glaciate someone's tile, because all but one animal of each color runs away, which means it goes back to the player's stock. So you have these little mini ice tiles and they go on top of the regular tiles to represent that this tile has now become tundra. It's nasty for a couple of reasons because you're getting rid of a lot of the cubes that are on there. And also you're making that tile worth a lot less points. There's something you know about glaciers, it's that they advance very slowly. So this process happens slowly, but it's very powerful. And that's represented very well in the game because you're able to choose this action turns in advance. There are spots for the next turn, two turns later, and three turns later on the board. And so you can drop a pawn in there to be the person who gets to glaciate in the following turn. So this has upsides and downsides. The upside is you get to execute the powerful glaciation action. The downside is that you're tying up a pawn for an extra turn. Same thing if you're going to do that multiple turns in advance. And so there's this slide down track. And when we reset the board, we will slide down the glaciation track. So eventually, if you, if you place that down the line, you'll get to take that glaciation action. The other thing about placing a tundra tile is you score some points for doing that. I'll explain how many points you get a little bit later on. But that's action seven, glaciation. You get to decide where the tundra tile goes. 
You place that tundra tile down, all but one species cube from each animal has to run away. Any element discs that are completely enveloped by tundras get removed from the board, and you get to score some points. Let's get to action eight, speciation. This lets you get more cubes onto the board, or as I like to say colloquially, make babies. This action has six different eyeball spots, and each one is correlated to one of the types of element discs. And the reason for that is which element disc you choose tells you where you get to make your babies. For example, if I choose the sun icon eyeball disc, then that's telling me that I get to make babies around a sun disc. Now there may be multiple sun discs on the board, so I get to choose which one I want to use. And if I'm the reptiles, I'll probably want to take that sun disc spot because my reptiles like the sun. So I choose to make babies. I take that sun disc and there are multiple spots. Now I'm probably gonna to wanna to choose the one that is adjacent to the most hexes because I get to place my babies in each adjacent hex. Now if you have a central disc, then you'll have three hexagons next to it. If you choose a disc on the edge, you might only have one or two hexes next to it. So that's why it's usually good to pick one of those more central discs. So I select a sun disc somewhere in the center of the board that has three hexes next to it. And I get to place my babies into the three adjacent hexes. How many babies I get in each hex depends on the terrain type. The more habitable the terrain, the more babies I get. And this is shown on the board. You only get one baby in the tundras. You get two babies in mountains and deserts. You get three babies in forests, jungles, and savannas. And you get four babies in the wetlands and the sea. So if I took the make babies action, speciation, I choose a sun disc that is adjacent to a tundra, a savanna, and a desert. I'm gonna get six total babies. I'm gonna place one of my little baby cubes on the tundra tile, two of my baby cubes on the desert, and three of my baby cubes on the savanna. And I wanna get more cubes on that map because if I have more cubes than other people, then I'm gonna be able to score more points. Each cube is referred to by the game as a species. So if the game ever talks about species, it is referring to your little wooden cubes. When I say how many each tile gets, that is an up two. So in the savanna, I get up to three. If I did not want to place three, if I wanted to save my little babies, I am allowed to do that. Or maybe I just simply don't have enough. But that is action eight, add babies to the board. Action nine, wanderlust, grow the board. So this is to go out and explore and expand more terrain to the board. When you're looking to take the Wanderlust action, there's two things you want to look at. Each turn there are three available Wanderlust tiles of random types, and usually you'll probably want the ones that are worth the most points. The sea and the wetland and the savanna and the jungle are worth more points than the deserts and the mountains. There's also four available element discs next to that action. And so when you take that action, the first person there is going to get first choice of the three available tiles and the four available element discs. When you execute it, you're going to take one of the tiles, choose one of the discs, and you're going to add that adjacent to part of the board. You'll score points for doing that. And then you're able to place your element disc on any of the six corners of that hexagon. Then all players who have species or cubes adjacent to this new tile are allowed to move into this tile. And this occurs in food chain order. So here's how this wanderlust action works. When we execute the action, I pick a tile, I put it on the board. I choose one of the element discs, I place it on one of the six edges. 
Then it's time to move in new species. So we look and see who's adjacent. We go in food chain order. We say mammals, do you want to move any cubes in? And they can move as many adjacent cubes as they want into this new tile. Of course, they're going to want to pay attention to if they can survive on that tile. And then the reptiles would go and so on until everyone has decided whether or not to move into that tile. And that's the wanderlust action, growing the board. Action 10, migration. This is simply moving cubes around on the board. There are six different eyeball actions, and each has a different number on them, because that tells you how many you're available to move. We've got seven, six, then five, four, three, then two from left to right. Now, it may seem like you would always want to take that seven spot first. And so whoever takes that seven spot can move seven cubes on the board. You can move each cube one space. You can't double move the same cube. So I can move seven different cubes, or up to seven different cubes, one hex on the board. Now this is the one spot on the board where you might want to consider not necessarily going on that farthest left spot. And here's why. Because sometimes it can be an advantage to be the person who gets to move the cubes last. And you are not forced to take the spot farthest to the left. So if you want to take one further right, say for example move four cubes, and hope that you're going to get to move cubes later so that you can kind of see where other people end up and choose carefully where to move those four cubes. And that is action 10, migration. Moving cubes on the board one space. Next, action 11, competition. Colloquially known as eating other cubes. If you place your pawn here, you're going to get to kill up to three of your opponent's cubes, which can be a handy thing. There are seven eyeball spots on this action, and they are placed in such a way that each eyeball spot is marked with three different terrain types. For example, the first one has a jungle, a wetlands, and a tundra next to it. That means that you can kill a cube in the jungle, in the wetlands, and the tundra. Here's the catch, though. You have to have somebody to eat those other cubes. If I'm the reptile, say the blue cubes, I need to have one of my cubes in the jungle, the wetlands, and the tundra to be able to kill some of my opponent's cubes. I don't have to do all three. Ideally, I would want to. But say I just had one of my reptiles in the jungle, and I want to kill a red cube, and then I have one of my snakes on the tundra, and I want to kill a yellow cube. And that could be it, because maybe I don't have a snake in the wetlands. But that's what competition does. It lets you kill up to three other cubes as long as you have one of your own cubes in that tile. You have to be careful, though, because you have to match the terrain types based on which spot you place your action pawn in on that action line. And again, of course, this happens from left to right. They are placed in a line, and players eat cubes from left to right. And that order can be important. This seems like a good time to talk about dead cubes. If your species, your little cubes, if they die, what happens to them? Well, they don't go back to you. They go back in the box, away, dead forever. You have a limited supply of these cubes. Now, for example, in a four-player game, you'll have 45 cubes. And if at any point you have cubes that die because maybe they were eaten by another person's cube, or one of the domination cards ends up killing a bunch of your cubes, or you have a bunch of cubes that end up on a tile. For example, I'm the reptiles, and I end up on a tile that loses its sun disk, and four of my snakes there die. Then I would have to take all those cubes and put them back in the box, gone forever. Because the number of species, that supply that you have, that is a resource, and you need to pay attention to it. 
If you burn up too many early in the game, you won't have any to play later in the game. So you need to work carefully with what you have. The one important exception to this is with glaciation. When someone tundras your tile through the glaciation action, this is the only way in the game that your cubes do not die. They do what's called run away, which means you get to put them back in your stock. Don't forget this. It's easy to do and a good way to run yourself out of cubes. If you get glaciated, you get the cubes back. In any other circumstance, when your cubes die, they go into the box dead forever. And finally, action 12, domination. This is a very important action on the board because it's really the only way to score points throughout the game. There's a ton of points that are scored at the end, but players are also able to score points through this domination action, and so you should be taking this quite regularly throughout the game. There are only five spots here. So what you do when you take this action, and you're going to want to keep in mind that this occurs after all of the other actions, so you have a, a lot of different chances to manipulate the board before you get to this domination action. But when you get down to this domination action, the scoring happens from left to right, and the first person there is going to get to choose to score one tile. How does the scoring work? Well, there's two things that happen. We have a population scoring, and we have a domination bonus. And when I'm choosing to score a tile, I'm hopefully going to choose something that gives me both of those. Hopefully I get the most points from the tile scoring and I get the domination bonus. So the population scoring. When I choose a tile, we simply look at that tile and we see who has the most cubes. And then, based on a chart on the board, different types of terrain score more points. The more fertile or livable terrain, the more points it's generally worth. For example, the sea and the wetlands are worth the most points, and the deserts, mountains, and tundras are worth the least. The terrain that scores more, the sea and the wetlands, score first, second, third, and fourth place. The mountains at the end, for example, only score first and second place, and the tundra just gives one point to the person who has the most. But the sea scores first, second, third, and fourth place. The person with the most will get nine points. Person the second most gets five points, then three, then two. As you go down the fertility of the land, the number of points goes down. For example, the savanna scores seven and four and two. The forest scores five and three and two. And the mountain only scores the first two people, three and two. And this is all listed on, on a chart right on the board, so nobody has to remember these numbers. And all you're counting is who has the most cubes there. You need to have a cube there, of course, to score some points. If there is a tie, ties are broken in food chain order. And this is the advantage of being near the top of the food chain. So, for example, the mammal always wins ties, which is a very nice advantage. So, if I took that action, I would choose a tile, and the first thing we would do would score victory points based on how many cubes you have there. Then we have the domination bonus. There are five domination cards available at the beginning of each round. And these generally give really nice special abilities. And whoever is dominating that tile will get to choose one of the five available cards and take that action. Not only do they get to, they must. And this domination bonus has nothing to do with how many cubes there are there. We're simply looking at who is dominating that tile. And domination is determined by counting the matches on each tile. Let's look at two examples to make sure that you understand how domination is determined. Let's look at a simple example and a more complex example. Say we have the reptiles and the insects on a tile. 
Now the first very important rule is that you have to have a cube there in order to have domination. For example, if we have the birds also playing, but the birds don't have a cube on this tile, then they can't be counted for domination. So the only players that have cubes there are the insects and the reptiles. There are two sun disks adjacent to this tile and one grass disk. The reptiles have two sun disks on their animal cards and there are two element disks on the tile. So they have two matches and two matches for a total of four matches. The insects have two grass element disks on their animal card, but there is only one grass disk adjacent to that tile. So the insects have a total of two matches. So the score is four matches for the reptiles, two matches for the insects. The reptiles have domination on that tile and the reptiles would mark that with one of their colored cones. Now remember, as we play all the different actions and discs are added to animals or to the board or removed from animals or the board, this can change many times throughout the game. And players have to be aware of when those cones can change. And whenever they see a change, they can go ahead and swap those out. The game states that it is the responsibility of the player who's dominating the tile to make sure that they make that change to show that they are in charge of that tile. Most importantly, you're going to want to check that when you're seeing who's going to get some sort of a domination bonus. Let's look at a bit more complex example to make sure you understand domination. Let's say we have the insects and the amphibians fighting for control of dominance of a tile. The insects have two grass and one grub and the amphibians have two grubs. The tile has one grass and one grub disc adjacent to it. So let's count the matches. The insect has two matches for the grass disc and one match for the grub disc for a total number of three matches. The amphibian has two grubs and there's one grub on there for a total of two domination matches. So the insect has domination of a score of three to two. It takes some practice, but you'll eventually get used to counting these matches. If there is a tie for domination, there is no tiebreaker. Do not use the food chain order. You only use that for determining population scoring. For domination, you actually have to be dominant. You have to have more matches than anyone else. So in this case, there would be no cone on that hex. And if that hex was chosen to score, which is still legal, no one would go and take a dominance card. So getting back to the scoring, whoever has domination of a tile that is being scored gets the bonus of selecting one of the dominance cards. And the dominance cards have a very wide range of abilities that they do. Some of them even give you more action pawns. So instead of five action pawns, you might have six from now on for the remainder of the game. Some of them let you add cubes to the board or remove cubes from the board. Some of them let you score victory points based on certain conditions. They're all generally good, but their power is not qu quite balanced, which is why you need to look at when you need to go to that domination action. There are five available eyeball spots for it and five dominance cards available for each round. So whoever gets there first is going to get first pick of those cards, which can be very important. Now keep in mind that a player can choose any tile that they want to score which may mean that I might choose a tile so that I get the population victory points, but maybe another player gets the dominance card. That is legal, or vice versa. I could choose a tile that maybe I only get second place in, or I don't get any population points in, but I do have dominance there, so I get the domination bonus. So players are allowed to choose any tile to score. 
Of course, ideally, they'd want to choose a tile where they got the most points and hopefully none or very few for others, and they had dominance there, so they would get one of those dominance bonus cards. But an important rule is that each tile may only be scored once per turn. So if I have taken the domination action twice, I can't choose the same tile to score. I need to choose two different tiles. And furthermore, if another player were to go, he, need, he cannot choose one of the tiles that I have already chosen to score. But that is domination. Very important. You want to be sure that you are getting there quite a bit throughout the game as this is a good chunk of the points during the game is from people going to this domination action throughout the game. All right, so that was quite a bit. Let's go back all over it briefly and go over the special abilities of the animals and look at how the end of the game scoring works. A review, special abilities, and the end of game. Alright, so we're going to start with a certain number of these wooden cylinders. We're going to take turns one at a time in initiative order, playing them on the board, and keep going until we're out of them. Then we're going to resolve the actions from top to bottom and from left to right. The 12 actions quickly, once again, are the first action is initiative. This moves you up one spot in the turn order, and you get a bonus jump after everybody has played. Next is adaptation. This lets you choose one of the four element discs that are available and put it on your animal card to help you survive better or to dominate better the areas on the board. Action three. Any ones that are not taken are going to slide down here to regression. And any discs in regression, all players are going to lose discs of one of that type unless you place one of your pawns in there to prevent you from losing one type of element. Action number four, abundance. This has four element discs available, and this simply lets you pick up one of those discs and place it on the corner of one of those hexagons on the board. Again, this can help you survive on different tiles or let you dominate more tiles. Action five, wasteland. Any tokens not taken are going to slide down to the wasteland box. And what this will do when executed is any of these types adjacent to the tundra, for example, the suns, if there was a sun there, all the suns on the border of the tundra will get pulled off. Going to the wasteland lets you remove a disc so that this doesn't happen. Action six, depletion. Any discs still in the wasteland go down to depletion which allows a player to go to depletion and simply remove one of the elements anywhere on the board. Action seven is glaciation. The player who takes this gets to add a tundra tile to the board. They'll score some points for doing that. All but one of the cubes will run away and you're gonna lessen the scoring for that tile. This is available to be taken turns in advance. Next is speciation. This is make babies. You choose one of the disc spots to take. For example, I might take the sun spot. And then I get to add babies to up to three different tiles on the board. The number of babies I get depends on the terrain types. Next is wanderlust. I'm able to grow the board and make it larger. Add it to the board. Pick one of the available elements and add it to the edge of that new tile. And then we would take turns moving our cubes into that new tile. Action 10. Migration. This is simply moving cubes on the board. You only get to move them one space. Action 11. Competition. Kill cubes. You have to have something to kill the other cubes, and you're allowed to do it on up to three types based on where you put your action pawn. And finally, domination. This lets you score. If you're there, you get to pick which tile gets scored. You first score for the number of cubes. The points you get depends on the terrain that you're on. Then you check and see who's dominant there. Whoever's dominant there gets one of the bonus domination cards. 
So first we place all of our cylinders and then we execute. First we do initiative, then we do adaptation. People will get to pick up their discs, then we do regression and so on all the way down the chart. And then we do that reset phase. The reset phase has three steps. The first step is extinction. And throughout the play that people have done, throughout moving and adding and removing element discs, some cubes could be placed in sections where they will die. Remember, you will become extinct or die if you have cubes in a hex that doesn't have any matching element discs of the types that you have. For example, if I'm the snakes and I only have suns, my cubes can only be on hexes that have an adjacent sun. If they don't, this is the point in the game where all of those guys would die. And when they die, remember, they go back in the box. Then we have the survival step. This is sort of a bonus scoring step that I can talk more about now. Throughout the game, we're going to have a tundra, and the tundra will be growing and growing. There is a bonus scoring for whoever has the greatest control of the tundra. And this is determined simply by counting the cubes on all of the tundra tiles. And whoever has the most cubes on all of the tundra tiles will get the survival bonus. There's a little card, and you hand that card to that person, and they'll score a certain number of bonus points. If there is a tie, there is no tiebreaker in this circumstance no one gets the cards and no one scores the points. The final step of the reset phase is reseed, which simply means reset that action box. The first thing you need to do is slide down some of those tokens. The adaptation ones slide down to regression. The abundance slide down to wasteland. The wasteland slides down to depletion. Element discs that started the turn in the depletion box or the regression box are placed back in the back. The glacial track would slide down if people have taken those late glaciations. They would get to slide down one space so they'd be ready to glaciate. You'd get new discs for the wanderlust. You would flip up new tiles for wanderlust. And any... Dominance cards that weren't taken will stay there, but you will flip up new cards for the empty spots. And this is the clock for the game, is the deck of dominance cards. There are 26 of them, and once we get through the whole deck, the card that is placed on the bottom of the deck is called Ice Age, and when someone selects this card, that triggers the end of the game. Let's talk about the special abilities of each animal. Each animal has a special ability, but the other important thing to keep in mind is the impact of the food chain. The food chain has two reverse things that impact play. First of all, you have the starting initiative, which is based on reverse food chain orders. The insects get to start the game going first, and will probably end up, because the initiative track doesn't move that far, will probably stay pretty close up to the front of the initiative order all the way through the game. Whereas the mammals... Since they're at the end, they'll probably have to go somewhere near the end unless they really work that initiative track. And on the other side, food chain breaks ties, but remember only for scoring population cubes. So if we're both tied for the C for first place, uh, the mammals will always win, which is a nice advantage. And the insects will always lose ties. So you have that back and forth. But each animal also has a little special ability. Let's go through each of those. The mammals, or the monkeys, as I like to call them, the monkeys get to pick a super monkey each turn. The super monkey never dies. So if you have a monkey that ends up in a tile that he really shouldn't be and is going to die, you get to save one monkey from dying. You can call him the super monkey. The reptiles, or the snakes as I like to call them, have protection from regression. Regression is the action that removes discs from animals if they're in that regression box. And the snakes are always considered to have a pawn in that section. So you're going to get to save at least one type if it ends up in there. The birds 
or as I like to call them, the birds, can move fast. They can fly. When they take the migration action, instead of just moving one hex, they're able to move two hexes if they want. The amphibians, or the lizards, get to start the game with three element discs instead of two, which really helps them dominate early in the game. They have three water discs pre-printed on their board. The arachnids, or the spiders, they get to kill more things. Every turn, they get one free kill. Of course, they have to have a spider there to kill the cube, but they can pick anywhere where they have a cube and kill one opponent's cube. Evil. And finally, the insects. The insects get a free baby every round. When we get to the speciation action, after everybody else has made babies, the insects get one free baby that they can place anywhere on the map. And the nice thing is, on that action board, they have these special abilities marked. The snake icon is pictured in regression. The insect icon is there at speciation to remind you to make your free baby. The bird icon is on migration to show you that. The spider is there by competition, and the spider actually gets to eat first, which is nice. And then there's a little super monkey icon there by the extinction. Super monkey! So let's talk about scoring, and let's talk about who wins in the end of the game. Now, there's a lot of places where you're able to score what's called bonus points. You get to score bonus points for the following actions. For playing a tundra, when you take the glaciation action. From playing a hex, when you play the wanderlust action. A lot of the dominance cards tell you to score bonus points. Winning the survival card scores you bonus points. And at the end of the game, you'll get bonus points. And there's a little bonus points track there on the board. And it's the key for how many bonus points you get. And it's depending on how many you have of a certain thing. One is worth one, two is worth three, three is worth six, four is worth ten, and so on. For example, when you lay a tundra tile or lay a new hex, you get points based on how many adjacent hexes you're laying it next to. If you lay it next to just one adjacent hex, you get one point. But if you manage to have three adjacent hexes around it, you score six points. When you win the survival card, you get bonus points. You get bonus points based on how many different tundra tiles you are on. So if you're on four different tundra tiles, you'll score 10 points, which means that that survival card can be worth a lot of points, especially near the end of the game. At the end of the game, everybody's going to get to score bonus points. You're going to score points based on how many tiles you dominate. So if you dominate a lot of the board, you can get a lot of points. If you dominate six or eight tiles, that might be worth 21 or 36 points at the end of the game, which is a good chunk of points. So let's review how to get points. You'll get a few points when you take the glaciation action or the wanderlust action for the number of adjacent tiles. And then you'll score tiles from the domination action. At the end of each turn, someone's going to get that survival card, probably, if there's not a tie. And they'll score points based on how many tundra tiles they're on. And that's the scoring that'll happen during the game. And they'll happen each turn. A game can last between 6 and 10 turns. And at the end of the game, when someone elects to or is forced to take that Ice Age action that's at the bottom of the domination deck, What that card instructs you to do is score bonus points based on how many tiles you dominate. Before you do that, of course, you're going to want to check each tile to see who dominates which tile. All the players will score for that. And then you'll take all those domination cones off, and you'll do one final scoring for population. 
You'll score each tile for first, second, or third place, or fourth place, depending on the tile. You'll score every single tile, and when you're done with all of that scoring, the player with the most points will win the game. Part 3. The Hamster. How to win the game. So it's time to give you a little bit of basic strategy. One thing this game can do is it can feel a little bit overwhelming. And so my advice to you is to try to stay focused. There really is a limited amount of actions. Many games only last between six and eight turns, and, so, and you only have maybe five pawns each turn, so you're only going to get between 30 and 40 token placements. So you have to make sure that each token placement counts. Try to come up with a plan for what you're trying to accomplish each turn so that you don't get distracted. Like any worker placement games, you really have to prioritize your actions carefully. Which ones do you need to take first because other players are going to take them? Early in the game, it's important to take the adaptation to get more discs, abundance to get more of the discs you want onto the map, and wanderlust to grow into and expand into new sections of the board. I'm going to recommend that you focus on between one and three elements. You start with a focus on one element. You might want to add one more type of element and really focus on getting areas with a lot of those elements. You want to sort of create your own area where you have good control of or maybe take over an area another player has developed by shaping the land to make it really suit your animal. Remember that there are six different element types and probably only four or five players. This is where I tell you my standard advice, do what the other players aren't doing. If there's an element that not a lot of other players are looking at, you may want to consider getting into that element and creating a section of the board that has that element. Only you can take that part of the board. But there's so many different actions and there's so much to do. You really have to pre-plan a little bit before you just start willy-nilly laying those action pawns down. Try to come up with a plan for each turn. Don't get distracted and stay focused. Sometimes in this game, prevention is the best medicine. We talked about that slide down mechanic, that if people don't take the discs on adaptation or abundance, they slide down and then nasty things start happening. They disappear from your animal or they disappear from the board. And so sometimes the best way to prevent that is to take them while they're in ad adaptation or abundance so they don't start sliding down and those nasty things don't start happening. Or sometimes, if you're worried about bad stuff happening to you, for example, someone glaciating your tile, maybe you should take glaciation so you have control of that. Or if you're worried about another player taking over a certain area of the board that you're trying to take control of, you may want to take that speciation icon, that's sort of the best icon to take that area of the board, to stop other people from getting there. So a lot of times you want to go places simply to deny other players from getting that. One thing you need to stay focused on is... Remember what scores you points. You get quite a bit of points from round scoring. So first of all, you have to make sure you get into that domination action. I personally like to try to get to that domination action at least once in each turn. There's only six to eight turns, and skipping one when everybody else gets one, or somebody else gets two or three, can leave you behind a bit. Then, you need to prepare at least one good scoring tile that's ready to go. You'll probably want one of those tiles that's worth more points, one of the green or blue tiles. 
And you want to make sure that you are in first place and you have domination of that area. So get that scoring tile all ready to go. And if you're lucky enough to get two domination actions, you got to make sure you have two good tiles to score. The other decision you have to make is whether you want to go after that survival bonus or not. The survival bonus is given to the person who has the most cubes on Tundra tiles. This can be worth a lot of points potentially, especially if other players are sort of ignoring it. But then again, if you end up in a dogfight with three or four other players all duking it out and focusing a lot of their energy on that, you're going to all kill each other and that bonus won't be worth very much. So you have to sort of see how the game plays out, whether you want to enter that race to get that survival card. Next, the domination cards. These domination cards can be very swingy. You need to really pay attention to these. Read over these at the beginning of the game and think about the impacts that these are going to have. Really think about, is there one that could be really important for you? And if there is, you better get to that domination box soon. You need to really think about, what are the other players going to do with these things? Because they could really impact you. There are ones that take a bunch of cubes off the board. So be aware that if someone gets a domination before you and removes a bunch of your cubes, that could impact your scoring on that same turn. So you really have to think ahead to things like that. And this is where having multiple plays and being more aware of what those dominance cards do will really let you improve your play. And finally, you need to really set yourself up for that final scoring as that's a huge chunk of points. Don't forget that you get to score for the tiles that you dominate. That can be worth a lot of points. So get ready and prepare for that throughout the game. This isn't something that you can do on the last turn. You have to build towards having domination of a good part of the board. And don't forget that there's a huge amount of points for scoring each tile at the end of the game. So really try to set yourself up and look for those, even those second places and those third places. Those can really add up if you really spread out or you take first place in as many of those high scoring tiles as possible. That's all the advice I have for you today. I hope you have a great time attempting to become the most dominant species on Earth. It's a great game. Enjoy it. Part 4. Footnotes and Musings Okay, I have just a couple of footnotes here. There are some interesting optional rules. If you want to play the game with two or three players, you can play it that way and have each player have more than one animal. In a three-player game, each player would have two animals, and in a two-player game, each player would have three animals. And the scoring for this is interesting because your score is the, the score of your animal with the lowest point total. So in this way, the game forces you to balance all of your animals and work to make them all do as well as possible. Seems like a very interesting variant and a good way to take a multiplayer game and make it work with less players. Like I said, I think it works really nice with four or five. I haven't tried this variant, but it seems pretty interesting. Another variant you might consider is the optional random setup. The game starts with a, a standard setup, but there are rules to set up the middle of the board randomly. And this is going to start making some animals more powerful than others. The rules compensate that by giving the animals with a disadvantage a few victory points at the beginning of the game. And I think this could really make things interesting and mix up the game. The balance setup is nice, but I'd really like to try this version. It seems very interesting. One of the number one complaints of this game is the game length. And to me, I don't mind long games. 
I think a lot of times a long game just means that it's a deeper, richer experience. One of the only problems is finding that amount of time to play it. Many people have suggested that one way that you could do this is you could sort of cut the number of dominance cards in half or maybe peel five to ten of them off the bottom of the deck to shorten the game by a turn or two. I personally worry about what this would do to the full experience of enjoying the game. This might be a good way to, to play your first game, to just get a handle on the mechanics and things. But after that, I, I, I really wouldn't want to play only half a game of Dominant Species, because I, I really think that that's what it would be. You'd be playing half a game. And one of the things I really like about the game is sort of the, the narrative and the way that the board develops. It's just really a great full game experience. So if you're learning the game, you might want to try that. Peel a few cards off the bottom of the dominance deck, depending on how, how much shorter you want to make the game. But once you know the game, I really recommend playing the full game. Well, that's going to do it for this episode on Dominant Species. I'm cutting it short here because we have an extra special musing segment that I'm putting into a completely separate episode, episode G. And I'm going to release them both at the same time. So after you're done listening to this, head over, check out episode G. It's a great half-hour-long conversation with game designer extraordinaire Jeff Engelstein, and we'll be talking about the evolution of board game mechanics. It's a fascinating discussion, so I hope you'll go over, download, and listen to it. But for this episode, I want to say thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoy getting into a dominant species. We will see you next time. This has been Ryan Sturm from the How to Play Podcast. One, two, three, four... This has been Ryan Stern from the How to Play podcast. How to Play is written, recorded, edited, produced, promoted, and financed by Ryan Stern. How to Play is a one-man, independent podcast not affiliated with any game vendor or game company. If you like How to Play podcast, I count on you to support it. You can help out by joining and participating in the guild, donating financially to the show, writing reviews or rating the show on iTunes, help talk up the show in your game group or on the forums at BoardGameGeek, and even just thumb announcements of new episodes. We have no contests, no gimmicks, no advertisements, no plugs to game websites or companies. All of the show's content is free of all bias, save for one, my own, and that is due to your own continuing support. Please consider supporting the show in some way today. I love to hear feedback from you, and I can be contacted through our discussion forum on the Guild at BoardGameGeek, or I can be emailed at howtoplaypodcast at msn.com. This podcast's home on the web is www.howtoplaypodcast.com. Thanks again, everybody, and until next time, I hope you will learn, teach, and play great games. Super monkey!